Hi everyone, welcome back for another podcast, an Energy Geos podcast. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Maitri Irwin. She is a geoscientist and also a principal program manager at Microsoft Azure for Energy. Hi Maitri, how are you doing today? Doing great, Rochelle. It's very hot here in Houston, but I also hear it's extremely hot where you are. Yes, so. very hot in Montana. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being here. It's a, an honor to interview you, and I'm just really glad that you decided um, that this was something you wanted to volunteer for. So thank you for that. It's absolutely great to be here. I really like what you're doing. I think it's important to talk to different people and capture their perspectives uh, for posterity, but also so that different people can understand that it's there's not one path to being mm-hmm. a geoscientist or an energy geoscientist. Uh, this is this is awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. So to get started today, could you share with our listeners a little bit more about you? So perhaps could you tell us where you're from, um, where you grew up, and then maybe something that influenced you when you grew up, something that inspired you to become a geoscientist? At the outset, I'd like to let the listeners know that these are my opinions and interpretation of my reality, and these are not necessarily the the views of my employer. So with that uh, boilerplate out of the way, uh, who am I? I'm an expatriate, and I'm also a first-generation immigrant settler of Mm -hmm. the United States. I'm of South Asian Indian descent. My parents are from India. They moved to um, Kuwait in the 1960s, right after uh, we found oil there. And no one in my family is a geoscientist, and no one in my family is associated with oil and gas. Somehow, uh, I was uh, born in Kuwait, didn't know anything about oil and gas other than it was that which was the country around me. My parents were biologists working in finance and and all the other things that come up as support roles around an an oil economy, Mm. but never really thought of rocks or the oil industry as something as part of my future when I was growing up because good Indian girls become doctors or engineers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't become geoscientists. The way I grew up, it's interesting. Even though I lived in Kuwait and and my parents were Indians, I had a very, very different, very unique childhood. Mm -hmm. First of all, both of my parents worked. My mother's a very strong feminist. She's a nutritionist, Mm -hmm. uh, retired as a nutritionist. She worked with the Ministry of Health in in Kuwait and led their nutrition program. For me, one of those formative experiences was, it, it carries on to this day, where I had a very strong matriarchal line of support, mm-hmm. very strong grandmothers, very strong mother, very strong aunts, a lot of strong women around me. Mm-hmm. So I would say that uh, if if I am strong today or I appear strong today, it is it is because of these women. And it is also because of nurturing men. My father is um, exceptionally intelligent and a scientist as well but he believed in nurturing his children's emotions and their artistic side. So I I just say that if anything made me passionate about and and go-getter about my life, it's my mom. Mm -hmm. And if anything made me passionate and love what I'm doing, it's my dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's so awesome. Um, one thing that came to mind when you told your story about your mom, it sounds like she was doing what Michelle Obama actually did well when she was first lady, but she was doing it years and years and years ago with uh, Kuwait. So with the the food issue, that that's okay. amazing. So being a woman who was fluent in several languages, who came from India, learned Arabic, learned mm-hmm. various foreign languages, quickly adapted from being a young Indian woman to being a young global international leader, mother, wife, and always being there for us. That was that was super formative for me. I, I moved here permanently when mm-hmm. I was 15. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and, and moved to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something else you and I have in common mm-hmm. is we are from, I, I, I finished high school in Illinois and had my undergraduate degree from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign mm-hmm. and then went to graduate school at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Madison, Wisconsin. My spouse is from Door County, just north of Green Bay, and I met him there. Uh, so I have this affiliation with the state of Wisconsin and I'm a huge Badger and Packer lover. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> have to put that out there. If I have to sum myself up in one word, it is definitely geoscientist. And I have to give kudos to both the departments of geoscience at Illinois and at Wisconsin for nurturing this curiosity in me. Mm-hmm. And, and and the reason I came about geoscience is all through high school, even my very first undergraduate courses, I had never been exposed to geoscience as, as a topic or as a subject of study. Mm-hmm. They don't teach science in, in middle school and high school in so many schools. Uh, and I went on a cross-country drive with a very good friend who was into caving, rappelling, karst studies, etc. Mm. And I went to high school together. We, we drove from Illinois to San Francisco across the Continental Divide. We went through all these beautiful formations in Colorado and majestic Rockies. And then there was this really sad-looking talus heap on the side of the road in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I went, I want to know what made that. That's what made me a geologist in my mind's memory or my mind's eye, I should say. I glorified this outcrop, and many, many years later, I came across a photograph of that outcrop, and it was literally the worst outcrop you have ever seen in your whole life. <laughs> it was a pile, a pile of talus garbage. Yeah. And I went, how did, how did I have the epiphany of my life to become a geoscientist yeah. by looking for this? But even if that can interest you, if, if even that pile of talus can, or that scree slope can push you into thinking about how that came to be. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at something that is earth-oriented or scientific-oriented, and the first question you ask is not how, but why, or you know, not what, not just not just the what's and the descriptions. And I think that really comes back to the first principles of science. Yep. And it has nothing to do with biology or geology or you know any other science. It's it's just a it just comes back to being a curious person who loves the world around them, who loves to ask questions of the world around them. Uh, and some people do it through zoology, and I did it through rocks initially because rocks don't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I really like that. I think you were the first person I've heard say that. That's so good. <laughs> oh goodness. So could you tell us a bit more about uh, what energy sector that you are specifically involved in and maybe sure. something that you really enjoy about your specific field? 
Yeah, more immediately, uh, I work at Microsoft Azure Global for Energy as a principal program manager, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll talk more about what that entails later on if we have some time. Sure. But I come, I come to this role and this stage in my life with almost 20 years of experience mm -hmm. in, in upstream oil and gas as a geoscientist, a geophysicist, a subsurface technology developer, a project manager, an exploration manager, and also a people leader. I'm educated in geology and geophysics and computational science. And as far as I can remember, I was always a tinker. Like mm -hmm. if there was ever a tool or a gadget, I was the person who was grabbing it and going like, how do I twist these knobs and turn these things? And why is this happening? And, mm -hmm. and I was one of, the, one of those people who had a voltmeter as a kid. And, <laughs> oh, <that's> so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the one out on the playground or out on the beach getting scraped up from the rocks. And mm -hmm. one little funny anecdote is um, one of the big scars that I bear on my leg is actually from uh, solidified oolitic formation in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. I was out on the beach and you know, I, I scraped myself against this. And my question was, when I grabbed when I grabbed at the rock, it, it crumbled in my hand and it was just these round oolites, which yeah. I didn't know what oolites were when I was a yeah. kid. But why is something so crumbly and so soft and, and round in my hand, something that can scratch my leg. So, you know, the, the, these are kinds of questions and, and, and curiosity levels that, uh, you yeah. know, you just have to nurture in young people. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ever thankful for my parents for never dampening that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, they, they encouraged me to do what, I, what they knew. But when I told them that I was going to be a geoscientist and that I'm doing this because I, I really love the science and, and it makes me very excited to be a scientist, they were all for it. And mm -hmm. they backed me up through and through. And at the same time, when computers came out, when MS-DOS first came out, when there were any tools out there that that needed querying, that needed investigation, mm -hmm. my parents never shied away from buying one of those things for me. Sure. And I feel extremely lucky and privileged in that sense. So. Yeah. There are other aspects of life that I don't feel so privileged in, but in that sense, I feel really privileged that my parents gave me a very secure and, and very fulfilling childhood where they, they fed my curiosity that getting their kids what they needed in terms of books, in terms of tools, in terms of learning, that, that, was, that was always part of the budget, even if they had to sacrifice something else. So I'm super grateful to my parents for that. Yeah. So using that, I'm now an advocate of, of computing for geoscience and the modernization of geoscientific tools and workflow migration into the cloud. Not because the cloud is this fancy new thing and everyone is talking about it, but again, and, and we, we, we chatted about this recently, a rock hammer is a tool. Mm -hmm. A CPU is a tool. A GPU is a tool. The cloud uh, and, and the infrastructure, the security are tools for geoscientists to work more more efficiently to do the science and to do more and and deeper mm -hmm. absolutely yeah I, I it's so fascinating I feel like I've watched your career path and it's it's been amazing so for you to the way that you were able to go from a geologist and then transform now working for Microsoft I just I think it's so incredible and amazing it's it's really inspirational how you were able to do that one thing I do want to add to that is some people have a straight line or a round resume and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And others have a jagged resume. They don't necessarily follow a straight path. 
I think that right now I'm not I'm not saying that one resume is better than the other. Yeah. But because eventually your the person's education, whether it's straight or jagged or you know or their experience, may not at all be related to the to the work that they do. Or they may have done a variety of jobs over the course of their professional career. There's nothing wrong with that. But whatever resume you want to follow, whether it's the straight line one, the round one, or jagged, it's having a purpose in mind. Mm-hmm. It's having. That I want to serve my science, and I want to make sure that what I do here means something to a, a considerable community, mm-hmm. right? And, and that, that that it's not done in a vacuum, mm-hmm. and that ultimately it's about transferable skills. If mm-hmm. what I do here is only applicable here, and I can only do it here, and it's not repeatable and transferable to other aspects of of science, then you really may want to rethink what you're doing. You may get left behind going forward, right? Mm-hmm. So just an example. I didn't know anything about oil and gas until my first master's internship with mobile. Mm-hmm. I like to call myself the last mobile intern. <laughs> um, that was the that was the summer that Exxon merged with mobile. And also, I was working on three D strain analysis. What what is geoscience? You know, inherently we're looking at three D problems, and we're looking at three D problems through time. Mm-hmm. What other what what better way than to look at it with massive computing to look at flow simulation to run to run your models, your static or reservoir genome models, to run visualizations of beautiful Earth that uh, that we want to simulate and look at. Like it, it's just it's something that calls to me very early on. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for sharing that part with us. It's really fascinating to hear about your, uh, your path. So going forward, you can, I mean, this can be in any sort of sense, really focused or more big picture. Do you foresee any new trends or developments specifically in your field? Has it changed at all coming out of COVID or do you foresee things, how they might develop in five to 10 years from now? That's a great question. I think corporate, the corporate world has learned a lot. And let's, mm-hmm. let's admit it. I work for corporate America. I work for a global company. Will we, do we want to be in the office? Do we want to be working with one another? Are there lessons there? Absolutely. I, I think that we've learned about a lot of the drawbacks to sitting at a desk all the time for people's individual health. And also COVID allowed multiple studies to be done on the true value of sitting at a desk and being plugged in all the time. Mm-hmm. One is trust. It shouldn't matter whether you're 100% work from home or 100% work from office. Yeah. I have really learned during this pandemic that I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Like even though I even though I'm swamped, like I make time to read. Yeah. Like, and I think not not going outside and not mingling with people and not being the, the extroverted social person that I am, I actually went inward a little bit. Yeah. I, I read I read more books in the past eighteen months than I have read in the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. It is through reading, and this is what I tell young people. It's not just reading books about energy or books about geoscience or books about uh, the digital transformation or the grid or sustainability or things like that. It's really about reading everything. Mm-hmm. It's about reading even you know, beyond your scope. So my favorite genre is science fiction. Is what? Sorry, missed that. Science fiction. Science fiction. Okay. Yeah. The more diverse and inclusive that science fiction is, the better. And the reason I, I, I really love science fiction and I love reading science fiction is the ideas that are in there. These are writers who are speaking to a large swath of humanity about the 
about what is possible. Yeah. When you think about that, you get more future oriented. And this is why over the course of the last 18 months, I really fashioned myself into a futurist. In reading those books, having the time to meditate on my own ideas, mm -hmm. thinking about the earth, reading about what we can do as humans, as a geoscientist, it really made me a futurist because better who's better equipped who's there you know if not a geoscientist yeah absolutely um, we, we understand the, the the depths of time we understand everything going back to 4.6 billion years ago i'm not saying everything okay that was a bit much but i'm saying we we understand space and time going back 4.6 billion years we're able to look through astronomy um mm -hmm. at understanding the whole age of the universe and the events of the universe and and bringing that to bear on our place in the galaxy. We're learning more and more things about who we are. And I feel like if you don't have that perspective, it's, it's a shame. Mm -hmm. It's a real shame, especially for geoscientists, because we, we have an inherent, innate understanding of what a million years is, or what 10 million years is, or what 100. And keep, keep adding the orders of magnitude that. If you can understand what a Mesoproterozoic rock is, yep. How much has happened to that sediment since it was first deposited mm -hmm. and in a rock and the time that has passed since then? Think of what all we can hold in our heads and think of the concepts that we can hold in our heads. But one of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about right now is lobbying for Earth scientists to really be a part of carving out the future and, and engineering the future of, of where we need to be. Yeah. Not just saying, oh, we're going to give up all oil and gas or, oh, we're all going to go to wind and solar and, you know, and, and we're just going to completely give up X and Y and Z. It's, it's understanding the Earth and educating people about the Earth to the point where they can make their own independent decisions mm -hmm. and, and can critically think about why do we need oil and gas for a number of more decades? Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the innovations? What are some of the gaps? What are some of the challenges we need to overcome to come off of oil and gas? And what are the innovations that have or haven't happened in terms of take the American grid, which mm -hmm. is a mess? Yeah. Uh, and then what is realistically possible with oil and gas, what is realistically possible with renewable sources of energy coming forward? And then also, what do we owe society? Yeah, that's really good. I The whole sustainability piece that you're speaking to, I, I find it fascinating. And I've never really before focused my geologic knowledge in that mindset. But now going forward, that's something that I'm really interested in. And I, I totally hear you. I think it's I think it's awesome and amazing. And I think so many people out there are going to really do and come up with really amazing things. One thing I'm talking about a lot right now with students, especially young people, is critical thinking. Mm -hmm. We have this debate going on in our country right now about critical race theory and critical thinking. When I gave a talk about critical thinking a few months ago, there were young people who remarked to me later that they had never heard the phrase critical thinking before. Oh my gosh, that's that that breaks my heart. If we're not talking about critical thinking with our young scientists, if each professor, if each teacher is not talking about critical thought with their students, then you end up in a situation where people think that critical means critique or I'm criticizing somebody. It's not about critical thinking. It's like, I'm not going out there and like bashing things. It's critique. It's an, it's an intellectual interrogation. Yeah. It's a rational interrogation. It's a repeatable interrogation of something to make sure that you understand why.
why and what is this and, and does this make sense and that you're not eating what is fed to you. Mm-hmm. Also, everybody talks about problems. What is the first step to problem solving? The first step to problem solving is problem formulation. If you can't make a well-posed problem, if you can't formulate a good problem, mm-hmm. you're not going to come at... Everyone wants to go straight towards problem solving when they haven't even defined the problem first. Mm-hmm. To define a good problem, you need to critically think through yeah. it. And you need to think about it with what I call systems thinking, which is thinking about the interconnectedness of everything. And it's bringing in good science and being open to all schools of thought. You can't say, oh, I'm a geoscientist, so I couldn't care less about the bees or plants or astronomy or XYZ that's happening on the planet. You asked me earlier about formative experiences, mm-hmm. and I also I also made a statement earlier that I became a geoscientist because uh, rocks don't talk back to you, but people do. Mm-hmm. And my first professional role was as a geoscientist at Shell in in New Orleans mm-hmm. before okay. and after Katrina. Okay, wow. Living in New Orleans and understanding what happened geologically, what happened meteorologically, what happened from a, a physical stand, physical science standpoint to New Orleans was one thing. But understanding the impact and the privilege that we have in society made me a better scientist and really opened my eyes to how the way we do traditional science mm-hmm. is a service to people. If there's anything I want people to understand is that science does not happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Science is not above people. Science is not above community. Mm-hmm. Science is not above the betterment of our fellow humans. Mm-hmm. Science is here not as gospel or religion that sits apart from the communities that we conduct the science in. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we really need to understand is whatever we do, we need to consider who we're doing it with, why we're doing it, and at whose expense is the science happening? Whose backs are we doing the science on? Mm -hmm. If if this goes forward, who is paying for this? What community is paying for this? And that is something that really came home for me during Mm -hmm. and after Katrina. And I would never have thought about the ramifications of geological and engineering decisions on the lives of people, on the very lives Mm-hmm. of thousands of people who died, mm-hmm. communities that have been forever destroyed and altered mm-hmm. because of what happened in 2005. And I lived through that and I went through that and I saw that mm-hmm. as someone with privilege. Yeah. And I spent time looking at these communities and how they haven't come back to this day 16 years later. Mm-hmm. And who was impacted the most? If we don't think about those things, we're not good scientists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing that. That's something that I think needs to be at the forefront of what we do going forward. And I really, really hope that people take it seriously. I really do. That right. is my personal hope for the future. And, and right now we're in this world where information is coming at us. Yeah. 
I wish we'd had social media like Twitter, Facebook back <laughs> during Katrina because we could have sent out information more. But then that's a double-edged sword because now you get all kinds of information and we know all about fake news and truthiness and all those things now with the growth of social media and the impact it's had on, on our country just in the last decade, right? Mm -hmm. if, if we promote critical thinking, uh, it's not just the first step to problem solving, which is problem formulation. It's also helping people get into that mindset, mindset of what is the motivation of the person who's telling me this is a fact? Why should I believe what is fed to me without thinking it through myself? And and most importantly, especially for young people who are getting the news, and including myself, you know, I go through, I scroll through my Apple News feed every day and I go, holy, what? Like, I can't, I have to stop myself and say, okay, what's the news source on this? So it's, it's doing that. And how can I verify it myself? I heard it on the news. I heard it from my aunt. I heard it, I read it on Facebook or, you know, my gardener's hairdresser. <laughs> No, you're a rational person. And that's, that's why I come back to first principles for geoscience yeah. is we know space, we know time, we are rational. We're talking about climate change. We're talking about so many different things that are important to us that we need to consider going forward. So if you're given something that you cannot verify yourself without requesting and or reviewing the data, you got to ask yourself as a scientist and as a citizen, mm -hmm. not just as a scientist, but also as a good citizen, because remember, science is not done in a vacuum. You're part of a community. Is this repeatable? Is it verifiable? Can I do, somehow do my own experimentation and research on this and find out if this is real? If not, we need to think twice about it. And if this is the only thing that anyone gets out of this podcast, that, that, that will have done my job. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. So going back to your job right now, would you say that right now you are fulfilling your dream role? Is this just something that you feel like you're you're really, this is it for you? Or do you still see yourself um, having other dream roles in the future going forward? It's funny that you ask that question because this is the job that I wanted 21 years ago. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but that's cool. <laughs> this, this is not where my industry, our industry, our energy industry was 21 years ago. Were there pockets of it going on? Yes. Yeah. Some of the concerns that I worked for were at the forefront of, mm -hmm. of what's going on now and have kicked off this digital transformation revolution that's happening in the energy industry. Mm -hmm. I'm where I wanted to be 21 years ago. So I'm living proof that if you keep at it for 21 <laughs> years. <laughs> it will happen. <laughs> it will happen. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, if you really believe in it and, and it's true and you've critically thought through it and you yeah. know that things are going and you're reading a lot and you're, and you're supporting your, your predictions with actual facts, then it, it will happen and you just need to be prepared for it. I am so happy for all the experiences that I've had so far. So one of the, before I carry on, I just want to say that there's no such thing as a bad rule. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had companies or jobs within companies that I was not happy about, to be honest with you. It just didn't fit me and, or it was sort of like a bait and switch or, or it was one of those things where I thought it was one thing, but it turned out to be something else. So yep. again, it's all about the, 
the E word, expectations, and managing them. But I, I never say that there's such a thing as a bad experience. Even if you're in something that you hate, you understand why you don't like it. And I will tell you something. Yeah, there's some absolute toxic roles. There are absolute toxic places to be in or jobs that you're like, what was I thinking when I, when I accepted this? Mm-hmm. Or, or people, again, coming back to the people factor, there are going to be people who don't make that role that 100% experience that it's supposed to be but you learn from it Mm -hmm. and you say I took these two good things from this experience and I took these two negative lessons from this experience and I will make sure that I can use the positive lessons going forward and that I can avoid the negative circumstances going forward Mm -hmm. you understand what your boundaries are you understand what your capabilities are I know what my guardrails are I know what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with Again, if I were to be thrown in the deep end of something else tomorrow and they say, my tree, manage this, you know, something new is sustainability that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to swim in that space. And what I want to be able to rely on is my critical thinking skills and my, my ability to get going quickly because I know not just what I've learned, but I also know how to learn, how to learn. In school, you don't learn. The focus shouldn't be on the facts. Yeah. The focus should be on learning how to learn, asking how to ask, mm-hmm. figuring out how to formulate questions. People who come out of school knowing the most facts that can be looked up, mm-hmm. it's not impressive to me. It's not impressive to me. Yeah. What's impressive to me is that you can come in and view a problem and go, hmm, this is interesting. Like, let me poke at it this way. Let me poke at it this way. Let me read about this a little bit more. And not being intimidated by yeah. something new. So is this my is this my dream job? Yes, this is my dream job. Because I, dream, I dreamed about it for 21 years. <laughs> and I'm finally here. But to be completely honest with you, what I, what I would like to do after, let's say, after I retire, Like, I always say, like, is any American going to be able to retire? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Expectations, right? Yeah. But in my quote-unquote retirement, I would love to run a nonprofit, which is funded through donations or grants Mm -hmm. of of like-minded organizations and communities where I'm, I'm hosting these community spaces for especially women of color. Yeah. What I want to do is, if I have had any success in my life, I want to turn around and create a space for hundreds of other women mm-hmm. like me, and we're not likely to be able to grow and thrive and go and get beyond what I have achieved. And then this is it. I love people, you know. I mm-hmm. love, I love teaching. I love talking to students. I, I really love doing things like this, where I am talking to you as mm-hmm. a woman who is doing geoscience. And if I, if I could do this for my day job all day long (laughs) and I'm creating pathways for other people to succeed that's exactly where I want to go with so when I when I retire from this job whatever whatever it ends up being in the next decade or so I'm I'm thinking about creating my own uh, foundation a nonprofit that does just that yeah it sounds amazing I'm excited (laughs) so do you have any but um any advice for someone who is currently building their dream empower yourself to think through it Mm -hmm. and also that time flies i'm someone who's been in this industry in this uh journey for 25 years okay 
I've been thinking of nothing but geoscience and energy and earth and all of this for 25 years. Time does pass. Yeah. In my in my head, I'm perennially 16. But at the same time, you know, your body, your surroundings, your reality, like, you know, the, the way that, that people expect you to be and, and, and some of the contracts that you have with you know, yourself and, and, and the world around you. Mm-hmm. I would say always stop to take stock of where you are, who you are, why you are. Think through it. Think through it. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a it took a huge reckoning. We all think that we're in control, but as geoscientists, we know we know that we're not in control. Yeah. And that uh, civilization exists by geological consent. And apparently, recently, COVID also taught us that civilization exists by uh, microbial consent. Right. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, humans, we, we propose and uh, viruses dispose, you know, that kind of thing. We have to be humble, but at the same time, you need to have a plan for your life. Yeah. You can't go with what fashion dictates or somebody's doing data science now, so you should go in that direction. Or someone is doing sustainability now, so you should go in that direction. It, it's really like, where can you add the most impact and value? And be in a situation where you're getting that impact and value on yourself. To know what you want and fight for the people around you that are trying to get that. Mm-hmm. Fight for yourself in that regard as well. And I'm here. I am here with you. Yeah, absolutely. So to finish up today, what do you personally do to maintain your happiness and your success? It's interesting that you ask that. Let, let's be honest. It's been a, it's been a tough couple of years yeah and it was you know in in oil and gas and things that we've been dealing with with Mm -hmm. price of oil and everything and then covid immediately pushing all of that down a huge avalanche it's been tough one thing you need to stop and do is establish boundaries you say yes to the things that you really love you say no to the things that you can no longer abide Mm-hmm. Feel free to use your job or your COVID or your whatever your personal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Use it as your excuse. I, and, I, and I know I'm saying this as someone who is a founding member of the SDG Women's Network mm-hmm. and really worked at establishing myself in this discipline and in this space. But I would say that if I had to go back 15 years in time and do it, or even 20 years in time and do it all over again, I would have said no to a couple of things. Yeah. This is what I'm telling young women is don't wait till you're in your 30s and 40s to say no. Mm-hmm. Yep. No should be a part of your vocabulary. Everyone is, oh, the word should be yes. Like, you know, any volunteer opportunity that comes along, yes, should be in your vocabulary. I say yes to opportunities of quality. Mm-hmm. Opportunities where you really feel you're going to make a difference. Opportunities where you, you owe it to your community to give back. Yes. But not every opportunity is that opportunity. Mm-hmm. One thing I've taught myself just this past year is setting boundaries, and it's about creating this space of protection around yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's a it's armor because if you wear armor, you can't be vulnerable. Yeah, and you can't let good things in, and you can't feel bad things either. Because I think we should be empathetic. We should be open to the good and the bad out there. Yeah. But the thing is, if we let if we let everything in that's good, and if we let everything in that's bad, that leads to emotional overload. Mm-hmm. Big time. We are not. We are no, in no way, shape, or form until you run your own company or you are the arbiter of your future. 
you bet that you are at the mercy of external circumstances. Mm -hmm. There's this space between the external stimulus Mm -hmm. and how you react to it. There are slings and arrows that are coming at you from all directions, and then there's your reaction to it. That space that you create, that, that delay or that time, that buffer that you create between what is coming at you from the outside your reaction to it, if you can make that bigger and bigger and bigger, that is super valuable and it will help you going forward. Absolutely. You don't have to react to everything that's thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and everything that you shared with us. I think this is like a treasure trove of really good advice, especially for maybe young people or people that have gone through some things that are still trying to figure it out. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's really important to understand that being a scientist is not, it's not having a degree from a university or it's not having accreditation mm-hmm. from someplace. Grow your inner child. Do, yeah. do, do you. Yeah. <laughs> Grow that insatiable curiosity and the ability to question anything. Mm-hmm. Not just memorize and repeat static facts that were given to you in this degree program. It's really about not apologizing for the questions that you have or some of the reactions that you have to certain circumstances. And that is really what makes you a scientist. Nothing else. 